Hi, my name is Sydney, and welcome back to A Thing of Vikings, part two. I did it. We were doing one with one episode. <laughs> Hi, my name is Maya. Like, this is, I think this is the only series. Yeah. Are you ready to rumble? Okay, well, technically I have TLD question mark. Mm-hmm. But I think that also only has, like, two episodes. In yeah. It. And then this has two episodes. Yeah. That's we're crossing we our little fingers for a Sincerely Yours to make that oh. a two-parter. Oh. <laughs> Which reminds me, I was going to text Save. But hello, <laughs> welcome back to Yay. the second part of A Thing of Vikings, the million-part fucking series that I'll be putting on for the rest of my life uh, um, by A Thing of Vikings. Up front, I would like to say to the fans of A Thing of Viking, you uh, are very sweet. Thank you for listening to this episode. I know that last episode, you guys put a little fun little note saying the episode starts here. I get it. I heard you. I'll be putting at the very top of the episode notes when the episode starts, so you can just cut right there. So that's just up there. If you guys want to skip right to that, you can. But um, I do have some news for Miss Maya. First of all, I would like to have um, a little Patreon roundup for our Patreon. Patreon. Um, Maya did two fun little episodes, two for the price of one to make up for uh, missed, missed month. a missed March. So you talked about uh, Game of Thrones and the House of Dragons. Yeah. A little so chit chat. I, I finally finished that series after <laughs> months of it being out because I, you know, I just get busy and whatever. So I had like the last three episodes, mm-hmm. which um, were the most important three and also like had the most drama and were very very good nice. so i gave my thoughts on that and i kind of went back to like i talked about game of thrones and mm-hmm. my thoughts on game of thrones because i know i've talked about it a little bit on mm-hmm. the show but i've never been like this is definitively what yeah. i think about game of thrones because i know you haven't seen it no so yeah that was one of the episodes and then the other one was a tribute to your favorite man in the whole world <laughs> jack <laughs> mr jack black, black. Yeah, <laughs> that one purely was just for me. And it's also because I recorded that the day before we did the Luigi Bowser mm-hmm, episode. Mm-hmm. So I was like in a mood. Where yeah, I was like, oh. a Jack Black mood. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So those were my two episodes. Yeah. And then um, I did a fun little Stiddy episode because um, <laughs> if y'all don't know, I watched the Teen Wolf movie at the beginning of the year. was Yippee. atrocious. The worst thing I've ever seen all year long. I can imagine. And I was so mad about what they did to Stidia in that movie that I went back into my Stidia spiral. So I've been reading nothing but Stidia fan fiction. So I read one for the Patreon and then gave a couple more recommendations. If anybody cares about Stidia anymore... <laughs> And then um, we did not have a joint episode. Maya and I got very busy. Uh, school finished for you. School is done for me now. School is done for you now. And my sister graduated and I had a lot of familial responsibilities. So we are planning like a kind of longer joint episode for the summer. We're coming up on our year on Patreon, which is crazy. Oh, wow. Planning something really fun over there. So if you would like to join us, it is patreon.com slash canonically incorrect. If you want to listen to the bonus episodes, it's only $5 a month. And then I have some <laughs> kind of crazy news for you. Um, okay. So you know the, the Rings of Power, the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon right now, right? Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? I watched the first couple episodes and then I um, didn't finish it right. because I got busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been on my list of like, <laughs> I think I only have, like, four more episodes left. Okay. Well, um, I bet you would love to hear that a fanfiction author is suing the show. Why? Did they so, take a plot? <laughs> so, <laughs> mm. the Tolkien Estate and Amazon are currently being sued for $250 million by a Lord of the Rings fanfiction author who claims they plagiarized the concepts for the Rings of Power. So, author Demetrios Polychron, who resides in Los Angeles, claims that the the Rings of Power violates his copyright and is suing both Amazon and the Tolkien estate. Polychron believes they stole ideas from his fanfiction, Fellowship of the King. So, if you don't know what the Tolkien estate is, you probably do. Um, So, this is for those listening who do not. The Tolkien estate is responsible for managing and protecting the literary and artistic legacy of J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion. It was founded by Tolkien's estate after his death. The organization works hard to preserve and promote the works of the creator while ensuring his wishes are respected. So the actual lawsuit, Polychron sued the Tolkien estate, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, and Amazon studio executives on April 14th, alleging that they failed to respect the copyright of his fantasy fanfic, The Fellowship of the King, published in 2017. Polychron claims that his novel was inspired by Lord of the Rings, but his original work. 
Okay. He claims that Amazon used the names from his book in the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power series, such as Eleanor, the name of Samwise Gamgee's daughter. Also in the Rings of Power, Galadriel becomes a warrior and takes up Finrod's swords, which Polychron alleges copies from page 157 of his book, where she, and I quote, led her people into the thick of attacking orcs. Although Polychron's fanfiction is also set in Middle-earth, he claims that the concept is totally different. His trilogy, entitled The War of the Kings, is a continuation of the story of the original books, and they follow Eleanor, the daughter of Samwise, as she joins the quest to find the original Celebrimbor and Sauron's corrupted rings of power. This, among many others, is where Polychron's allegations descend. I read a lot of articles for this. Mm-hmm. Some were kinder than others, I will say, <laughs> about the lawsuit. And okay. I'll say for just reading it, he seems to be suing on, like, characters alone and not for any, like, actual plot. Like, some lawsuits have gone where it's like, oh, this is right. an actual plot point that took place in my fan fiction mm-hmm. that is now in your traditional published space. Right. So I'm going to be quoting from an article that was like not very kind to the fanfiction author that states he didn't come up with the idea of Galadriel the warrior and neither did any Amazon writer. J.R.R. Tolkien did in the Silmarillion. The same goes for Polychron's Eleanor, who he claims the Ring of Power based the character of Heartfoot's Eleanor Brandyfoot on. The show's Heartfoot is likely a reference to Samwise Gamgee's daughter, a little nudge for fans who like that sort of thing. So that article was basically like, you probably thought the same as the Amazon writers where they're like taking pieces of J.R.O. Tolkien's work and like being like, nudge, nudge, here's for the fans Uh who read the Silmarillion, you know, like, so you can't claim that that's yours because it's not yours. Yeah. I mean, it's also, I don't want to be like, hey, 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 man, it's not a weird idea that multiple people came up with the same same line of thinking. Right. Like, that's happened thousands of times. I mean, look at how many pieces of fan fiction there are that are like, most of that shit is exactly the same. No, there are like, you can't be like, well, he he can be because he is, but like, I don't want to give this guy shit and be like, but at the same time, it's like, okay. Right. Obviously, he's very... Mm-hmm. I don't want to be He's nice. suing for $250 million. Yeah, that's a lot. But it's also, like, it's so hard to, like, go into a court and be, like, right. suing for an idea or a concept. That's not already yours, like... Right. Yeah. And I know in a lot of fandoms, like, some headcanons just become canonized in the fandom. Like, in the Hunger Games fandom, the names names of uh, Peta and Katniss's two children are never named. They're never named. They're not. But, like, as time went on in the fandom, like, two names stuck around. And, like, that's just the names that the fandom uses so um that was the one article that was like very mean and very like you did not write this it was jr on token so in the same article he says on the other hand polychron's eleanor is literally samwise gamgee's daughter as the story follows her in the adventures of middle earth he did not create these characters jr token did the most egregious example in the filing is when polychron alleges that quote gandalf displays the power of my wizard alatar Despite only appearing in unfinished tales, Alatar is still Tolkien's wizard, as is everything he wrote and published. Polychron is suing based on these characters, a property he doesn't own and hasn't paid the rights for. On the other hand, Amazon has paid the rights to Tolkien's work. Yeah. Listen, here's here's another thing about, like, when you write for a TV show. Not to mention the TV strike that's happening right now. Right, right, right. Um, Usually, and this this goes for, like, all facets of production. Mm -hmm. There is an intense amount of research done. Yeah. Especially when it's, like, a a show with that big of a Mm -hmm. budget. So, Mm -hmm. it's not crazy that... They pulled the same wizard names from unfinished material right. that you did. And also, there could be a writer that is super into the Cimmerillion and is like, right. I know of this one wizard that but is in a single sentence. It's also like they're being paid to do that yes. right now. Yes. Because like that's the jo- that's the job yeah. of like figuring all of this out. Right. So, what the fuck? I think especially for this Rings of Power show, after listening to your uh, Mad Ramblings episode of the Cimmerillion, mm-hmm. where you just threw a thousand names at me, Yeah. literally, like, why would you you ever come up with a name on your own when you have a thousand to work with right so it, i'm it's not far-fetched and no. it's very hard to be like but my ideas and it's like yes you are very cool for like making up your right. own story and like publishing it and having people right. that appreciate your work but you have to understand the other side of it as yeah. well of like 
these people had a research team. Mm-hmm. There's multiple writers on the show. Right. It's not crazy that they, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, all of those brains in one room happen to think of something very similar to, to yes. the story. Especially given setting, time, place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The same guy wrote all of this, so it tends to fit a pattern. Well, this is where it delves off into even more madness, where okay. you can't even try to be like, oh, man, I don't even... You're not one of us, actually, anymore. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm gatekeeping you from this okay. community. So, Polychron has attempted to work professionally with the Tolkien Estate in previous years. In 2019, Polychron hired an attorney to contact the Tolkien Estate, quote, with excitement to collaborate with the defendants and the anticipation of publishing his book to the public, end quote. The complaint states that the Tolkien Estate, quote, rebuffed any attempt at collaboration the very next day, end quote. So, Polychron personally delivered a copy of his fanfiction to Simon Tolkien's home, who is the current head of the Tolkien Estate and J.R.R. Tolkien's grandson. However, Tolkien refused Polychron's requests on several occasions, and now Polychron believes that the manuscript was read and plagiarized. There's also some concerning aspects where Polychron decided to sell the Fellowship of the King. He claims to have asked for his book back from Simon Tolkien, telling him in a letter that, quote, he would publish the Fellowships of the King and an additional six-book series independently, which we all know is a no-no in the fanfiction space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you cannot publish your books. Yeah. That's a crime. His first book in his seven-part fanfiction saga has 27 reviews on Goodreads, 24 of them being one-star ratings and only three five-star reviews, one of them he wrote himself. Oh. Other reviews read, Mate, you're gonna get sued. I love fanfiction. I read a lot of it, but no one should try to sell it. And couldn't get past the first couple pages. I have read vastly better written fanfiction. At least there, authors don't ignore establishing naming conventions and add weird titles for people. To then be expected to pay for this is ridiculous. So, in conclusion, some articles I read suspect that the lawsuit is Polychron's attempt to go viral and in result more sales for his fanfiction series. But at this time, it appears that Polychron's book has been delisted from Amazon. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so... I'm um, suing the company that's selling my book actively. I didn't... I actually didn't put that together. Yeah, I don't think this was going to happen in a million years. (laughs) What do you mean there's repercussions to my actions? Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) The lawsuit filed by Demetrius Polychron against the Tolkien estate is still a developing story. The Rings of Power uh, is still set to release its second season in coming years with blessing from the Tolkien estate. So, there is no, like, top production, but... um, Didn't think there was going to be. <laughs> but I can kind of see where they're like, this seems like a person who got had ideas that like writing fan fiction would one day lead him to like writing for a show like The Rings of Power. Right. But when that didn't happen for him, now he's mad about it. Listen, I, I understand having a dream and I don't want to like shit on this guy. Uh-huh. But it's like, <laughs> you're writing fantasy, but you should expect reality. Yeah. So... I don't expect him to get the $250 million from no, this lawsuit. Me either. Um, but I do think it's, like, absolutely craziness. 100%. Like... 100% it is. I was... Even before I started reading the articles and I was just going through, like, the lawsuit, it was literally just like, I don't think you could sue just off characters alone. This feels like a... I don't know if you could sue for just characters alone because other lawsuits that I've seen are, like... Or other reasons why other, like, authors or showrunners or just other writers in general don't read fanfiction is because they're worried about stealing plot points. Mm-hmm. About stealing ideas, not characters. Like... Because, right. like, I don't know. Like, we do have OCs in fanfiction, but I'll say they're very minimal and they're very limited we're all using very like established characters it's like the plot points that are really like the original idea at the end of the day so to only sue for characters is like i don't know about that one (laughs) it's a stretch it is a stretch it is it is a stretch that i just knowing the way that like traditional people look at fan fiction i fear that they a person even with substantial claims wouldn't really go that far because they're like fan fiction you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but to already have like very lackluster claims on top of it being fan fiction i don't really know how far that's gonna get you you know so and i think it just hurts us at the end of the day yikes (laughs) but yeah that was something that i came across that i was like oh this is a once in a lifetime occurrence (laughs) it seems like it yeah author i do want to know if this person like reached out to ao3 like their lawyers to see if they could help no <laughs> you give a very small head shake yeah. of like could you please help this is a fan fiction lawsuit case and they were like no uh, given your history 
Mm. So I would love to keep up on this to see if it went anywhere. But my my thought is going to be, no, the next story to come out about is this judge has thrown away $250 fanfiction copyright lawsuit against the Tolkien estate of all people. Yeah. That's what have lot. they done? What have they done to deserve this? Uh, obviously, they didn't read his transcript. <laughs> oh, my God. Or God. manuscript. What a crime. What a crime. So I have a couple notes beforehand. That art thing of Viking appropriate. Please do not skip over this, people who just want to listen to the thing of Viking stuff. So book four, I have been talking to the author. Book four is complete now. Bringing the total of a thing of Vikings to just over 1.7 million words. To put that into perspective, the last episode, we were at 1.2 million words and 119 chapters. So Joe, aka a thing of Vikings, published over 500,000 words and 35 chapters in a little under a year. Because our last episode was in, like, August, I think. Um, He's also taking a break after finishing book four. So this is a perfect time to catch up on A Thing of Vikings on your own. So if you want to, like, speed up, he's not going to be publishing for quite some time. So you have time to be, like, there's a finish line somewhere. (laughs) Like, all of of book four has been published. And there's also another little update. Joe has decided to start posting his original writing work. It's going to be hosted on Tumblr until he gets a website. It's at uh, fractured-legacies. That is... F-R-A-C-T-U-R-E-D hyphen L-E-G-A-C-I-E-S. And he has started posting his work now. He has the prologue for his original work published for you to read right this second. You can go read it. And if you want to support his original work, you can go to patreon.com slash fractured legacies. He would like to support him in writing original work because that's a bit more difficult than writing fan fiction where there's already a a built-in audience. So I just wanted to give both of those updates uh, on the author since I know a lot of the people who listen to this are our audience, but also a lot of them are the audience of... (laughs) the author who has cultivated this community of people who love the work so if you would like to support him further if you did not know about his original work go support him if you haven't listened to the first episode you probably should it's uh under an hour and a half um it is episode 54 a thing of vikings part one and then we did get to talk to the author um and that is episode 66 adding dragons to the real world with a thing of vikings so if you like to listen to both of those you absolutely can but um i am going to uh jump into the second part previously on a thing of vikings Berk is one of the few places where there are still dragons. Dragons come, steal some sheep, and the hooligans fight back. Them Vikings too damn stubborn to leave. The Night Fury is carrying a rider. The dragon lands on the ship and it's Hiccup, the chief's boy, and they pull the ship into port saying that lots has changed since the last time they've been there. You now possess, as far as I know, the only tamed dragons in the entire world. Others will hear of this, figure out how to protect it. When the weather starts warming up, Hiccup takes Toothless on a flight, and they come across a passing ship. They yell to the ship, Are you sailing for Burke? Indeed, we are coming for your Thawfest, with letters and tribute from King Aldoan U Imar, King of Verdafjord. So the day of Thawfest arrives. Hiccup and Astrid are walking around the festival when Fishlegs is frantically running up to them. And he's going, Hiccup, she's gone. They took her, someone kidnapped, Mutlug. Adelwyn had ordered them to return with dragons whether the hooligans wanted to give them up or not. A panicked shout comes from the other ship. Dozens of dragons, their riders visible on their backs. The next morning, King Alduin Un Imar wakes up the sudden sound of screaming. He pushes the door open just in time to see a black shape. It snatches a guard from the middle of the wall and carries him off as he pleads for his life. There's a gust of wind behind him and he turns back to see the black beast standing behind him a young boy riding on his back. I am Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III. Your kingsman and his men attacked and nearly killed one of my tribesmen, but they failed and were caught. Hiccup informs Alduin that this was going to be the only time they let him off scot-free. Well, one thing had just become very clear to him. Dragons were now the new great power in the world, so he had to have some. Where we left off last time, uh, Hiccup was getting his dues with King Adelwan for s- trying to steal Fishleg's dragon. And while that's happening, uh, Snotlout is back on his bullshit by raiding the Christian Saxon lords to the south to, and I quote, better test the Viking prowess and be better on the road to earning glory. So if you remember, Snotlout and like, I think it was just Snotlout at the time stole a bunch of sheep and cow mm-hmm. from like a neighboring village and then got like in very much trouble for it so he was like instead of learning my lesson we're gonna do it again mm. he was in sort of a pickle 
It turns out that owning a dragon is very expensive. Uh, from the amount of food that Hook Fang needs to eat to the riding accessories, Snotloud doesn't have that much money. He has pretty much isolated himself. Of course, he got into the massive trouble from the last raid this winter, so he couldn't ask Hiccup. And the twins hate him for the stunt that he pulled with Roughnut. Fishlegs was still very much scared of him, and I think Astrid hates him the most, but I don't blame her. And above all, he hated that Hiccup was now this golden boy. A year ago, Hiccup had been the village idiot. Snotloud and his father had been certain that Stoic would have no choice but to anoint Snotloud the next chief. Hiccup wasn't strong, he wasn't battle-hardened, wasn't a dragon killer, wasn't anything other than a mistake. And Snotloud would have been chief one day. And now Hiccup has it all. All Snotloud had were debts and his dragons. He had no position, no woman, no glory, no wealth. And in the wane light of the pale moon and a fluttering candle, this group assembles, 20 men with their beasts. They're all oafs themselves, small-brained idiots that are the only ones in the village to respect Snallout and his father. Mm-hmm. Back on Burke, Hiccup and Astrid are taking a break from helping the dragons shed their scales for the spring. These last few hours, days, months, year really, were so stressful that any second that they can get, they'll take it. As they're relaxing and talking about the best ways to help the dragons shed, they hear cheering from outside. And of course, when they go investigate, they find Snotlout, his men, and their bags upon bags of loot. Hiccup immediately wants to know what the fuck they've done and how they managed to have all this money. And he's met with the most smug Snotlout. Oh, hi, Hiccup, he says. I was just showing what an absolutely awesome Viking I am. Sure, I didn't take down the Green Death. I just helped. But I'm doing my part to ensure that our tribe is prosperous. And he begins telling the Vikings his saga of how he fought his way to the treasure, tore down those walls, and showed those Christians that the Age of Viking was not over. And then he just starts talking shit about Hiccup on top of it. Yes, he did all of these things, but he's not a Viking warrior. He is a scald, a scholar, but he brings no honor, no coin, no valor. And parts of the crowd are cheering, and Hiccup could see why. Snotlout had turned what was once Burke's greatest enemy into their greatest weapon. Hiccup cries in frustration, turns, and marches away. And Astrid finds Hiccup at this cove, clearly incredibly frustrated. She sits with him, not necessarily talking a lot. Uh, She's mostly talking to herself since Hiccup is stewing in his little soup of frustration and self-doubt. Because he believes Snotlout, everyone, maybe not fish legs, but everyone is more of a Viking than him. But the thing is, he doesn't want to be a Viking. He doesn't want to fight with or without Toothless. He doesn't want to use the dragons Mm -hmm. as weapons. I don't know what to do, he says. I thought, I hoped that this could be a new way. A way that I could fit better. Like I didn't have to be a square dowel in a round drill hole. Instead, I've just made an improved old way where I won't fit. I can't. But something that Astrid noticed that Hiccup couldn't is that only about 10% of the village was cheering for Snallout, even though it felt like a lot more in the moment. But that's exactly what the Jorgensons want Hiccup to think, because before this, like I said before, Snallout was being prepped to be the chief. And if he does become chief, they'll just use the dragons like weapons. So Hiccup can't let that happen. It's a curse that has been laid upon him. I remember a guy who wanted to be a Viking so bad that he created crazy war machines to try to prove himself to the village. Astrid says, I'd like him back, please. You'll get what you want, but you'll have to work for it just like you did before. I said in the last episode, but I would literally read this fic just for Hiccup and Astrid alone. There's a lot of cute parts that I had to cut out because there's a lot of story involved. But um, you should read this for Hiccup and Astrid alone. I really like them together. They're very cute, especially at this like cove pond moment. They have this very sweet moment together. And um, the author does a really good job of writing intimate moments that aren't explicit. Like, Mm. it's clear what they're doing, right? (laughs) But it's like not in the way that like traditional smut would be written, especially since there's this underlying current from last time about being like proper and like courting and they're like too young to get married and so Mm -hmm. they can't get married. I have a note on that at the end because I feel like it's going to come back in a much larger way. And I had to cut a lot of that out because it's just like, there's a lot. I get I get what's going on, but like, I gotta, please, there's right. so much more going on. But when they're just themselves, it's like perfect. Like when it's just them and it's not like we have to worry about like they're, they're like chauffeurs or like, not chauffeurs, but like um, babysitters almost where like someone has to be around them. Right like fish legs or gobber or whatever or like we have we don't have to worry about astrid's aunt who's like a giant bitch 
<laughs> like when we don't have to worry about those it's like very great and very sweet and they're like I would just read it for them and if something does happen and it will probably happen to them I will cry yeah. <laughs> so Hiccup does tell his father about Snotloud's expedition and that night he gives him and his crew uh, ass tearing Snotloud is rightfully terrified on Snowick but not his father who argues with the chief about his son's quote unquote crimes he says we should be celebrating his accomplishments, not threatening them. Besides, the Saxons are weak. They are and were weak and divided, more worried about their own grasp than they are about us. We have to show our strength. They will come to us and beg for our alliance. Or they will come with ships and armies and wipe us out before we trouble them again, Stoic said mildly. It is easy to foretell vast riches and endless glory when one is not responsible for when it goes wrong. And I am still chief of the hooligans. I still lead and my son is still the heir. Regardless of what some may believe or desire of Odin's, Tyre's, or Thor's names, as chief I aim to lead. And in leading, I will balance wisdom, honor, justice, and glory for the good of us all. There was no one who doesn't respect Stoic on Burke, for he was a man who not only spoke but acted, and not only acted but remembered. While those like Spitelout forget a life without dragons, Stoic remembers. He remembers killing the dragons. He knows that if a war broke out, it wouldn't matter if they had dragons. Mm. Humans had killed dragons before, and they'd do it again. Is this how the story of Burke will end? We survive the dragon war by luck and kindness, and throw away the gift of the Norns and Forsty out of glory-seeking. We are a dying tribe. In my great-grandfather's time, Burke numbered over a thousand and a half. Now we are seven hundred and twelve. We have more elders of 50 winters than we have of children under 10. My class of dragon fighting numbered 30, and you, my nephew, were one of six. Stoic, there are moments in this where Stoic has moments with just himself about the dragons and what has come and, like, his mm -hmm. moments about it, specifically with his wife um, and, like, what... You've watched the second movie, right? Yeah. Okay. About what happened with his wife and how she was at this point he thinks killed by dragons and now mm. he's supposed to be like friends with them and like right. we get a little insight into what stoic is feeling throughout all of this which i think is great um i can't wait for the mom to come back i at least hope she comes back mm. <laughs> because that's what happens in the movies and i'm right. just i am hoping but even if she doesn't i think just having those bits and this is why like i keep trying to be like please go read this yourself because there are so many just character moments with characters by themselves where you get a lot of insight on them mm -hmm. that i think a thing of vikings writes so well like he writes stoic as such like a good chief that you're just like yeah no fucking wonder people respect this man like he's very well spoken and he knows what he's doing and he's right. like respectful and he's like kind when he needs to be and he's strong and and like uh, takes no shit when he, he needs to be and um the same with astrid astrid has a lot of moments in these chapters chapters 7 through 12 astrid has a lot of moments where you're in her eyes and in her head and he just writes it so well that's just like nothing i can do can uh, like amount to how that is that i just i'll say a million times over go read the fic yourself because it's just i cannot put everything into these little chunks that i that i rip out yeah. and um there's just so more, so much more that you can experience yourself. So Stoic, he enacts a new law, and the law is for no further Viking raids by dragon riders. They are small and tired. Sure, they could pillage, but could they defend? It seems to be enough to get the crowd thinking before he allows Hiccup to speak about his plans of fixing some of the damage and meeting neighboring villages uh, to introduce themselves and their dragons. Not Lout, who is not pleased with this plan of peace, challenges Hiccup in front of the whole village. Astrid steps in front of Hiccup, knowing he could not fight. It was not in his nature, and he has uh, he does not have one foot. So Snotlout compromises. So there is a home gang, which is like a fight against Astrid for Tyre, a race against Hiccup for Thor, and a test of wisdom against Hiccup for Odin. Best of three. So three days later, this match begins. With respective swords and shields, Astrid and Snotlout make their way inside the ring. It's a relatively short fight as Snotlout is an overly confident man with no real skill. Like, he has some, but, like, not as much as Astrid because Astrid is Astrid. Right. <laughs> so she broke one of the bones in her hands during the finishing punch, but that's about all the marks that are on her. I don't, I don't really think Snotlout left any sort of damage on her. Exciting. <laughs> so about an hour later, Snotlout and Hiccup are by the docks, ready for the race. 
Hiccup's a little more nervous than Astrid was. She was very confident. She went in and she was like, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to do I, I have absolutely no no worry in myself right. that I won't be able to do this. But Hiccup's a little more nervous than Astrid was. But he had just done this and he won this race against Notlout during Thawfest. So he can and will do it again. The racing on foot part is a bit harder, especially for Hiccup, whose stump of a leg isn't the best at speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what truly counts is the dragon racing part. With Toothless's speed, they catch up easy, and with the time the two spend flying out in the water, Hiccup knows shortcuts and knows how Toothless works best with these shortcuts. The sea stacks ahead had a double archway carved in through them. One high above was the safe route for a dragon the size of Hookfang, but the other... Toothless furled his wings to fit through the narrow arch, the top of which was barely above the lapping waves, and Hiccup pressed himself flat against his friend's back to keep from suddenly becoming a head shorter. A small spine of rocks jutting from the ceiling still clipped his right shoulder. He barely managed to stay on Toothless's back as his vest and shirt and skin tears. They burst out from the other side of the archway, bare inches above the water. Toothless unfurls his wings with a snap and pulls right in front of Hookfang and Snotlout all the way to the finish line. As soon as he's on the ground, they're getting him medical attention for his shoulder, and Stoic is trying to call the games because they've won the best two out of three, but Snotlout will not quit. He wants to do the last challenge. Snotlout, you have already lost the day, and yet you still wish to try and show that you were wise before everyone here. What? Do I have to keep repeating myself? Yes, I want to do the challenge. And that means you just lost it, boy. And there was a pause. Hiccup was confused, and Snotlout looked flabbergasted. Only a fool continues to fight after he's beaten, in the area of weakness. You failed, boy. The wise thing to do would have not been to try. And it's an entirely... (laughs) What a takedown. Hefty quote. Yeah. It's an entirely humiliating scene for Snotlout, as people begin to laugh. No one is looking at him like this Viking king or even a warrior, so he flees, hops on the back of his dragon, effectively ending the games. Hiccup wins. After this, no one is really good with Snotlout, so there's a bit of a rift. Um, Fishlegs is getting more comfortable seeing himself, especially seeing Hiccup and Ashton's relationship. So there's, like, a moment after the end of the games where, like, Fishlegs is, like, witnessing, like, Hiccup and Ashton's relationship. And he's just like, how am I not supposed to see that Hiccup's the good guy when he's in this, like, very loving relationship with Astrid? And Snotlout's, like, alone? (laughs) He's, like, run Ooh, off. A lo- and I'm supposed to, like, look up to him? Right. And he's like, no. And then um, with the twins, Roughnut specifically, the, the, the girl twin, there is, like, a moment where, like, in the spring, the dragon eggs hatch, right? And she is, like, watching how Snotloud is interacting with the baby dragons. And she's like, <laughs> you know what's really confusing and really weird? That you treat the baby dragons better than you would ever treat Astrid or I human people (laughs) so no one's really good with him anymore because they're like you're kind of an asshole um you're very rude you don't think of us as people you just think about yourself like you're trying to do for the best of the village but like Mm -hmm. come on (laughs) it's for your own pride right so i just wanted to make that clear in this like relationship this stand the strain on these relationships before we moved on the small Alban village of Glenfinnan begins to kick up commotion when the villagers notice dragons approaching their home. They're preparing for an all-out war, hiding their children and praying for their lives. The chief of the village looks at the dragons. That they were dragons was obvious, but the incoming flight was small. He squints and then seeing the figures on the back, he gasps because this means it's all true. The pagan Vikings had managed to subdue and saddle the devil beasts. And the chief thinks that they have now come to pillage and rob their homes. But then, the dragons do not burn down their homes or attack their people. Instead, they begin to land in the village commons. The chief makes his way to the small horde of dragons, thinking of offerings he could give up to save his home. Until one of the riders, astride a black-winged steed, casually calls out, Hello! and waves. Mm -hmm. The chief stops in his tracks. He did not expect a friendly greeting from the dragon riders. I greet you in turn, but I do not give you welcome, he says, for I do not know you. Well, that's what we're here to fix. Hi, I'm Hiccup, and this is Toothless. We're just stopping by to get to know the neighbors. Interesting approach. <laughs> it's like the face that you gave, you were just like, y- Hi, uh-huh. howdy, neighbor. Uh-huh. Yeah, man. 
So everything about the situation and the following few minutes is so confusing to the chief. This boy Hiccup and the rest of his crew jump off their dragons. He does not believe them or trust the boy, but he still shakes his hand when extended. So Hiccup, why are you here? Well, a few reasons. First, an apology. Did you lose some cattle over the winter? Aye, I did. Well, some people thought that the best use for a new dragon was to do to other people what we had to deal with with all these years. But regardless, to get things off on the right foot, we're here to apologize. Burke is officially sorry that some of our local idiots decided to enrich themselves at your expense. And I'm here not only to say that, but to try to pay you back as best we can. And to say that if you have any more problems with dragons or dragon riders, call on us. Because we're not going to tolerate that behavior. So, it's not loud. Hiccup then makes Snotlout walk over to Jarl Eivor of Glenfinnan and hand him a bag of gold, which was most likely the stolen money from earlier, to repay the village for the stolen livestock. This gesture makes it easier for Hiccup's next step to take place, as the chief, while still skeptic, couldn't see any sane way in which this young man's actions were a prelude to his home being burned down around him. So he smiles. Well, at the very least, you have, you have come a long way, and with gifts and reparations... He calls out to the hidden villagers. They swear to be peaceful. Come, we can show at least some hospitality to these unexpected guests. Slowly, the villagers come out of their hiding places. A group of young boys, a few years younger than the dragon rider in front of him, emerged, emerges from behind a stack of barrels. They approach the dragon riders cautiously. Ivor just bows politely to these new guests and says, Sir Hiccup, these are my grandson Jacob and his friends. Hiccup looks right at the boy and says, Hey guys, Anyone interested in flying on a dragon? Cautiously, the boys look to each of their friends before one of them steps up. He climbs onto Toothless's saddle before Toothless picks up off the ground gently as to not scare him. They circle over the village. Toothless makes a resigned toss of his head, clearly wanting to show off, but being rather bored with this fledgling stuff. The boy, however, is in awe. I've seen it from the peaks, herding goats and sheep, but... He trails off as they begin to fly higher and higher, the mountains of Alba beginning to stretch out before them. A distant loach glimmering in the valley between two ridges of the east and the sea stretched out into the horizon of the west. Any place that you want to see? Hiccup asks, and the boy points to one of the nearby mountaintops. They soar up to the side of the mountain and over the peak, the boy looking down and over the side of the stone, past far below, transfixed. I tried to hike up that once. When I was watching the goat herd, I didn't make it. Hiccup grins. You enjoying the view? Yeah, oh yeah. Wow, is that the sea? Yes, Burke is in that direction. I've never seen it before. I spent my whole life between those mountains. I know what you mean, but the world is big and there is so much to see. Hiccup brings the boy back, who has all the thanks in the world and a big grin on his face. With that, the ice seems to have been broken, and for the next hour or two of the day, they give dragon rides around the valley and village. Roughknot and Toughknot are taking busloads of people up. Astrid makes friends with the maidens as she brings them into the sky. Fishlegs is helping the village with small chores that Meatlug can do easily. After the hours passed, Ivor t takes him aside. So, young Hiccup, I have a question for you. What now? Now, what? We're going to fly off to a couple of other villages in the area... Greet people, let them know we're in the area and where to find us. Well, where else are you planning to go? Um, still figuring that out. Cowl, Lagan, Inverness, Elgin, places like that. And you'll be telling them the same things as I told you? Yes, if anyone has any problems with dragons, to let us know. We're trying to keep the peace around here. And what about problems that aren't dragon related? What, like helping with the fields and stuff like that? I don't see a problem with that. We've been using the dragons for helping out at home, and I see no reason we can't help. Sure, if you have any problems, let me know. Ivor has a satisfied look on his face that seems odd to Hiccup, and extends a hand to shake. Sounds fine to me. Thank you, young man. I wanted to make this note, since I couldn't really find a good place for it. Before they leave, there's this elderly woman who asks Hiccup for a favor. She has a daughter who is married and now lives in Logan, and she wants him to deliver a package to her. And of course, being who he is, uh, Hiccup gives her his word. He's like, absolutely. So as they leave the village, uh, Astrid catches up to Hiccup and Toothless. She's concerned that Hiccup's plan isn't actually going to work. Apparently, as Hiccup was showing off with Toothless and chatting with Eivor, the rest of the village was treating them differently. 
they were still all terrified of the dragons and Astrid can't blame them. What she could blame Hiccup for is agreeing for Ivor to be his vassal. Hiccup, she says, you completely missed that Ivor was asking you if he was our vassal now and who else we're going to vassalize. No, 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 he wasn't asking for help. Non-dragon problems, like a raiding party from his neighbors. Hiccup, that's not a let's all be good neighbors question. That's a vassal trying to figure out what he can call on from his lord. As far as Ivor is concerned, but I didn't promise that. You did. You promised that Burke would help. And I didn't demand anything, so how can that be our vassals? Put yourself in their place, Hiccup. You're not on Burke. You don't have a long tradition of fighting dragons and a bunch of Vikings that do have that tradition come flying in on dragons and saying that they want to be peaceful, would you believe them? Yeah, I would. If they see us and see that we're being friendly, why wouldn't they believe it? They have no reason to believe that we're not being honest. Hiccup, listen to me. I was watching the group of them back there. We didn't meet more than half of the village. Mothers were hiding young children from us. Men were keeping axes and bows at the ready. They were scared out of their minds that a wrong move from them would end with us burning their homes to the ground. But I would never do that. They don't know you. Hiccup goes quiet after that, banking away from Astrid and flying behind the pack for the rest of their trip back to Burke. King Macbethan looks at the wooden coffer filled with neatly bagged dragon's teeth. Next to him are the three men he tasked to scout Burke during Thawfest under the guise of merchants. King Macbethan needed to find out if there were growing legends of the dragon riders of Burke was more than hearsay. He and his wife and several of his most trusted advisors are currently in his private chambers as they learn of Burke. Small village built into one of the smaller islands, sheep, cattle, wild boars in the forest, fishing in the sea, a sleepy fishing village with a few hundred people, except for the dragons. They have as many defenses as a place without any walls, a rocky coastline and a few catapults, and everyone in the village is a fighter to some extent. The spy master goes down his list of observations of the place and people who reside in it, answering any of the king and queen's questions along the way. They have no fortifications, no walls of any significance. It's just a small fishing village with a bunch of hard-headed, hard-drinking Vikings who live off the sea, bowed down to pagan idols, and are too stubborn to leave. If not for the dragons, it would be nearly unexceptional. We must have passed a dozen like it on the shore between here and there. But then, they get to the hero. Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III. My lord, he is not much like the rest of them. How so? In every way, he is small, weak, and has no skill at arms. Then how did he defeat the Night Fury in the first place? I was given to understand that it was an epic battle worthy of song. The boy, and he is a boy, rising 16, apparently he made some war machine worthy of Archimedes and shot the dragon right out of the sky with it. Truly, truly, my lord, and when I say worthy of Archimedes, I mean it. The boy is a genius. The men began rattling off everything they witnessed Hiccup make or do that shocked them silent. His workroom, the saddles, the inventions he's made from for day-to-day use, his skills with the Night Fury and his games. But he is still a boy. Is he well-favored, handsome? Young men are susceptible to flattery no matter how bright they may be. Would he find it suspicious if some outsider woman found him of interest? You're not going to get much in the way of luck there, sir. He has a woman already, from the tribe, a beauty his own age and the enchantment there is quite mutual. They were quite devoted to each other. Fah, young love. It fades with time. We can remove the girl and put one of our own in her place. He wouldn't notice a difference so long as there's a warm one, or two or three in his bed. I rather doubt that, my lord, but as you say. The men dissuade the king from trying that route, as being caught as the removers would only put them on the bad side of the peacemonger viking. But maybe they don't need to get him directly. Maybe they can still get to the people of Burke, the ones who still think that only good dragons are dead dragons, and those who were on Snotlout's side during the raid. They almost have a semblance of an idea of Burke until the men speak of the dragons on Burke. Almost 500 riders on the island, with thousands of more unsaddled dragons. More than anything they could have ever imagined, more than they could reasonably take on. The king and his council dismissed the spies and the king of Alba and his council begin to discuss the information brought by the spies and debate what to do next. Okay, so the next part in this area, I just pulled completely verbatim because it was such a small section, Mm -hmm. but it felt very important somehow. Like, 
this seems to be something that might come up soon. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to read it verbatim because it was so short. King Henry of the Franks, third of his royal house of Capet, stared aghast at the report that his spy master had marked as important. Of course, things couldn't be going well. No, that would make his work too easy. No, clearly, just to make things a little more difficult, the Vikings had managed to tame dragons. And they were using them in raids, including ones that reportedly had ended with them dropping an entire longship in the middle of one of the Iron King's forts a few weeks back, shortly after Easter. That story was spreading like wildfire, according to his spymaster, who had it confirmed from no less than nine distinct sources, and they had looted the fort at Brisklau and burned it to the ground with dragon fire, killing half of the garrison. Hearthknut was reportedly furious. And of course, if the Normans of the North and his ostensible kingdom decided to appeal to their distinct kin for fire-breathing mounts of their own, they might as well get them which would spell the end of the Capet dynasty's God-granted mandate over the kingdom of Francia. On the other hand, if the Vikings could be induced to raid those self-same kin in their duchy of Normandy or others of his supposed vassals, it could perhaps even the odds a bit. Here in his own, admittedly somewhat pitiful, stronghold holdings, his most significant issues was extending his authority over his fractious vassals who had armies and castles of their own. He had a piece of paper that said that he had the authority over them, while their arms and holdings gave them a dissenting opinion. But if those assets were to be taken off the board, perhaps he could finally assert his authority. Yes, that could be so very helpful. He scrawled a response note on the piece of paper to his spymaster. His orders were to find who had control over the dragons, as according to the rumors, only a single dynasty had discovered the secret of controlling the beasts, and to see if they were willing to do a spot of mercenary work. So, a very short piece. Do not hear back from King Henry of Franks for the rest of this section, at least. Mm. But just the idea of, like, everyone knows about, like, them, like, at the end of last episode where they dropped the longbow onto the, onto the stronghold of, mm. like, you fucked with us, we fuck with you. And then all basically all of the world at least like hearing about the raid that snotlout did and then like them again hearing the vassal of like them doing the peace work and they're like oh they have vassals now it's like spreading very quickly in a way that i don't think that hiccup can completely understand because up until that point they were just this little small island of burke you know but now it's like all of these very much larger countries and people with titles are like learning about them in a way that's like i don't think they realize Mm -hmm. which why is why i wanted to pull it like specifically because it was so short but it had a lot of information of like lots of people are learning about them and lots of people are like hearing about the things that they did that like at some point like i don't even know if you really if he even really remembers like them dropping this longboat because so many other things have happened and they're like well he hasn't tried to fuck with us again so forgot all about you but at the same time so many other people are starting to hear about the things that they're doing which is uh oh spaghettios and then people are planning on like fucking with them like um king Macbethan, who's like well, we can just replace astrid and he's like i don't think you can just replace astrid <laughs> like seems like big time he's he's Aww. not the person you think you- like he's not who- you like basically right but, like, they're already putting, you know, after people come to Thawfest and people have been coming to Burke, it's, like, not an uncommon thing now that people know about the dragons. That, like, you know, they can, they have eyes, you know? Like, they can see that, like, something is the divide between Snotloud and the rest of them. And they can see that not everyone on Burke is, like, 100% agreeing with the dragon thing. And they're, like, we can see divides and we can see weaknesses mm-hmm. here that... Okay don't know if they're really thinking about all that much because all they know is fight where hiccup is thinking of peace and he's thinking about the future now and like they're all like we've never had one like that before Mm -hmm. but like you are skinny and scrawny but like smart boy you know where Mm -hmm. they the rest of them are like fists and swords and shields and xyz we're like they haven't really thought about that and it could get messy for them you know I'm not looking forward to the day where I'm going to have to, like, watch things happen to Burke because I like the place dearly. But I do think that's going to happen eventually because I just don't think they're prepared for the rest of the world. So Astrid is awoken by Stormfly nuzzling into her side. 
She pets the dragon, thankful she woke her during her nightmares. She hasn't been able to get the image of Hiccup's expression and him walking away from her out of her mind since they landed. They made camp on a small loach, and Hiccup and Toothless are rested on the other side of the fire instead of next to her and Stormfly. It was so frustrating. Hiccup's ideals were wonderful, and she loved him for it. He was a peacemonger. She was a shield maid. Her way was that of the battlefield, the shield and the axe. And now, in between her thoughts as she's been trying to think and fall asleep, she was fighting off the thought of wondering why he wanted her. Why her peaceful boyfriend wanted a violence-prone shield maiden like herself. She tried to ignore those thoughts, but they kept coming, intrusive, unwanted, but persistent. She gets up from her bedroll, shaking off the thoughts and the kink in her back from sleeping on the ground. Lost in her thoughts, she misses the footsteps behind her until Hiccup is right there. He sits beside her. It's a bit awkward, neither touching the other. Then both of them speak at once. They pause, smile at each other before Hiccup begins his apologies. And then Astrid. Hiccup, of course, I want everything to work out. I don't want to trade one war for another, but you can't just hope that it'll work out. That you can just show up on Dragonback and expect them to believe you. You have to work at it. If you want something, you have to actually spend the time and effort doing it. People are like axes, Hiccup. You have to pound them into shape with fire and hammers. You have to keep going back, working it over again and again. You don't get to do a poor job of knocking it into good enough shape and expect it to work as well. You wouldn't expect a dull axe that you haven't sharpened to be able to do as well as the one I keep sharp, would you? And dear God, Hiccup can only think about how lucky he is to be with her. And then chapter 11 is more cute scenes with Hiccup and Astrid and Gobbery, your favorite. <laughs> Comes into play, but it's a lot of chapter 11 that I had to cut out because it's just, it's a lot of really cute domestic scenes where they're like, they're not like, plot. Not plot. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're like making things. We are plot driven. We are unfortunately very plot driven here. So in the month or so that they had gotten back from their tour around the Highlands, Hiccup had been working pretty continuously on his creations. And one night, as Hiccup is talking with Astrid and Gobber about one of his inventions, a horn blows through the town, signaling incoming ships. It's not the most exciting thing to happen to Burke. Ever since Thawfest, visitors have been quite common. In fact, there were two ships in the harbor at the moment already, merchants from Cornwall and Wales. Hiccup doesn't move, content in eating, until a lookout runs into the dining hall to inform Stoic that a half a dozen ships are making their way towards Burke. Hiccup and Astrid follow Stoic after dinner, as Stoic instructs, and find him still in the air watching the ships. Hello, the ships, Stoic calls when they get closer to them. What is your business in these waters? We are a delegation under the flag of truce and peace from our king, Magnus the Good of Norway. On our way to the Isle of Burke, we wish to meet with your chieftain. I and here I am. What do you need so large a company to meet under a flag of truce? The crossing of the North Sea is dangerous, and we felt it best to do as a group. Besides, we sail into a region infested with dragons that are still wild, or so we understood. That is fair, Stoic acknowledges. I will meet with you at our mead hall. You are on course for the shore. I offer your sacred hospitality. All those with goodwill to our home may enter it. While they wait for the ships to arrive, they have a slight panic. They have never been visited by a country as big as Norway, and they really don't have any royal precautions at the ready for now they assign Spitelout and gobber to meet them at the docks while hiccup is trying to find a way to keep astrid by his side and being his girlfriend really isn't a good excuse to keep her around for royal delegations mm, yeah. all right he says i mean there's the bit where she's already a trained warrior and could be part of the honor guard or if you don't think that she's good enough at fighting but hey you're right we're still trying to impress them. So, Dad, if we're talking about starting to appoint people for handling things, I'd like to appoint Astrid as our master of the dragon. While a bit sideswept, Stoic agrees to it as long as Astrid agrees. And Astrid, I have no goddamn clue what to do and what in Midgard you are thinking. I want someone who knows dragons with me as this keeps getting more and more crazy with time. And you're the best person for the job. I trust you with my life and with Toothless's. You're already doing the stuff that you've been doing anyways. Help train the new dragon and new riders, help manage the dragons and their needs and things like that. Really, I'm just getting you the name that comes with everything that you've been doing already. And the fact that I'm your girlfriend. Only has anything to do with it because you were already doing that stuff because we were already together. So she agrees. 
Just in time for the ships to arrive at the dock, a man, introduced as his noble highness, chief of Rigjalfilki, Envar Arlexen, the Mary, steps off of the ship, eagerly excited to meet the hooligans and their dragons. He's not frightened of the dragons, as most are. In fact, he restrains himself from getting close to them. I bring greetings and invitations from my own sworn king and chief, Magnus the Good, from his court. I volunteered for this, and am most interested in meeting your dragons. The entire group begins walking up the pathway to the docks, and Envar wanted to know all about the dragons as they walk, his eyes shining as he looks around in glee, watching the dragons helping in cooking and construction. Envar spends most of his nights this way. When they arrived at the dining hall, he presents Stoic with the gift he brought from Norway. You ask why we traveled with such a large group. I am tasked to deliver three of those ships to you, my lord, and travel home safely on the remaining three. You may pick any three of them that you wish. It feels like all of Burke is stunned silent. That is an impressive gift. Your fife is an impressive holding. You said that your king craved a boon. What is that? There is a touch of explanation needed. A year ago, I had the honor of accompanying my lord on campaign against King Harthcanut of the Danes in English, in the hopes that we might prevent the shedding of the blood of brother Vikings. We, his nobles, worked with our opposite number to arrange a meeting between the two of them at Gotaalv, the river that marks the border between our two kingdoms. There they agreed that whichever of them predeceased the other would gain the holds and vassals of his brother king and reforge Knut the great North Sea Empire once again, in my hope and desire to see if peace can be forged once again, but instead of between rivals, between allies. Thus, I ask, on behalf of my king, if you or your heir and herald would be willing to accompany me back to meet and negotiate with my king with a suitable entourage as benefiting your status or his, I am willing to stay there as hostage if you deem it necessary. That is a significant boon to request, my lord. Aye, my lord, but is peace not worth pursuit? My lord king offers friendship and perhaps an alliance, perhaps even friendship beyond the bounds of realm. Your heir and my king are of similar age. He is currently rising seventeen, a kind and just youth. While the demands of kingship have endured my lord's childhood prematurely, there is still the possibility of boon companionship between them. So all of this is that the boy king of Norway wants Hiccup to come and play. He wants a little friend. Hee hee ha ha. Astrid could hardly keep her composition through this. She's like, the boy king wants to play with... They're the same age. (laughs) He wants to hang out. I know that I'm asking much and have said much. With your leave, I and my men will begin to make camp on the island as you offered and leave you to consider our offer. Our gift is not contingent with your response. And all I ask is that you take time to consider. Indeed, I beg you to think it over fully and do not come to a rash choice. The group departs and the three begin to discuss. Stoic asks Hiccup if he even wants to go with the risk of it all. But Hiccup says he does. So Stoic agrees that he will consider the Norse's request. And three weeks later, Hiccup, Astrid, the twins, Snotlout, and a half dozen other riders and their dragons cross the sea to Norway. The trip has been long and boring and occasionally terrifying when the storms had come, but now it's nearly over. Hiccup straps Envar to Toothless and the dragons take off ahead the rest of the crew. They were here to put on a show, after all. The capital, Nidaros, spread out under them. Houses, a central market, and a solid wooden fort stands over the city on a hill. Near the docks, a large crowd of people were assembling and they were pointing up, either in awe or fear. Envar points Hiccup to where they should land. Some of the people start to panic as the dragons come in and land, while others cheer, especially as Envar smoothly dismounts before the last dragon lands. There is a stunned moment before people begin applauding, and it builds and builds until the entire crowd is clapping with enthusiasm. My lord, King Magnus the Good, may I present you the hope and the heir of the chiefdom of Burke, dragon tamer Hiccup Horrendous III, and his brave mount, Toothless. The king, Magnus the Good, steps forward. Welcome, welcome, a thousand times welcome. Thank you for coming, Sir Hiccup. If I didn't see it with my own two eyes, I don't know if I would believe it. That was simply amazing. I find myself all a quiver in awe at this. I'm looking a dragon in the face. How amazing. 
They are moved around very quickly, from being set up in rooms and being sent to a welcoming feast. Everything the people of Nidaros do is to welcome Hiccup and the hooligans, while they show the people and the king the joys and the beauty of their dragons. There was entertainment, a quartet of musicians who sang a lovely tune about a sailing voyage over the sea from home and from hearth and the love left behind that made Hiccup and Astrid hold hands and sigh. As the feast comes to an end, perhaps a quarter of the room still somewhat sober, people begin to stagger off to bed. Hiccup and Astrid head to bed as soon as they can, as tomorrow the serious discussions would start. Macbethan looks at Taskell's notes and resists the urge to crumple it. His spies were running a regular merchant route between his kingdom and Burke now, but they were still only going once or twice a month, and that results in delays. Damn it all, the king yells. Have you found anything useful on the boy's levers? No, sire, Taskell said. With the exception of a close circle of friends, he's extremely private. The only thing that we've significantly found is his woman, and it's hard to blackmail someone about an illicit out-of-wedlock affair when apparently half the village is cheering for them, and it is fully expected that they'll wed eventually. So they're betrothed? Not yet, but apparently it's only a matter of time. Can we use that? Possibly, but what would you do? Offer Luchin's hand to the girl? Do you think it would work? Your stepson is many things, my lord, but a brilliant mind is not one of them. But you have no other hands to offer. You don't have a daughter or sister that you could offer to the boy as concubine to tie him to us. For that matter, you're the last member of our own dynasty. What are the other options? Well, the Jorgensen clan has been minimally receptive. From what I understand, they are interested in supplanting the boy with their own candidate, not a bloody uprising. And also, their candidate is off in Magnus's court at the moment, as is his dragon. Makes sense. They're weak enough as is, even with the dragons. A clan war wouldn't help them. But damn them for having the sense to see that. Aye, sir. In more productive news, however, our contact with the old hermit Mildew is paying dividends. For a sufficient inducement, he is willing to smuggle out us either hatchlings or eggs within the next year. I see. How much of a bribe is he wanting? Taskell names a sum, which makes Macbethan growl. Only enough to buy a hamlet and set himself up as chieftain, I see. We'd have to increase taxes, but I think that if we did that, we'd be having the same revolt that Harkonnen is dealing with right now. Aye, sir. Shall I tell him no, then? No. Keep stringing him along. You said that he's an old man? At least sixty, sire. So he won't last much longer, most likely. Quite possibly. Well, we can just give him one of my lesser titles in exchange for a few dragon eggs, and I'll reassert it when he passes on. Let him try to manage a few hireling clans. Make him the offer. That's where Whoa. I am ending today. Whoa. This section of A Thing of Vikings. A bit more setup. I think there will be a couple more episodes that are set up just because, like, it's a very big project. A lot is to be set up. So I think there's going to be at least one to two more episodes of setup. But I think what is being set up is pretty entertaining. We have the Jorgensons being assholes. We have this thing with King Henry and looking for, like, a mercenary from Hiccup. I don't, I don't know about that, you know? Yeah. The world knowing about what's going on. Um, let's see. We have uh, the group in Norway right now. No idea what's going to happen there. Um, and then Macbethan trying to, like, fuck with all of them and maybe getting dragon eggs. So that means maybe other parts of the world are going to have dragons besides Burke. Mm. Lots of things. Lots of things happening. Much to think about. Much to consider. Yeah. There's a couple, again, little little eggs being placed to hatch. Mm-hmm. One of them, I do believe, is the what I mentioned before with like the whole world kind of knowing about dragons and mm-hmm. everything. And then the second one is the note that I put on the bottom where I spoke about it in the last episode and kind of at the beginning of this one, but it's of Hiccup and Astrid, like, not being chivalrous and being proper and, like, not being able to do things because they're not married, X, Y, Z. It's prevalent enough and it comes up time and time again to the point where I'm beginning to suspect that it's going to come around in a very bad way, Hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because they, this is, like, the section where they begin to, like, sneak off together. There was, like, that area in the cove. And there was, at the end of chapter 12, when they're in Norway, they're like, we're alone. We're alone. Crazy. Crazy meeting you here. We're all alone. So they're starting to become more affectionate and intimate with each other while, like, not having the best sense of, like, when it's 
reckless and when like they're safe so i i i do believe that i hope i hope they're not going to get caught but i do i'm i'm now starting to believe Mm -hmm. that it's going to come up in a bad way because it it comes up enough that you're like hmm interesting interesting this this is coming up a smidgen too much for Mm -hmm. me to not be suspicious of this so there's a couple things i enjoyed i think this one had a little bit more of the hooligans than the last section because the last section was just like there's this guy over here and this guy over there and this Mm -hmm. guy's over here where it's like we kind of had that we were introduced to king henry but Macbethan we knew about he was introduced in the last one did not hear from king aldawan in this one so we'll see you know i think he will eventually be coming back around but he was not mentioned um so i am i'm curious to see what's gonna be coming up i do have one more um episode of a thing of vikings planned for this year i'm hoping in like the coming years i'll be able to do more than two episodes of this Mm. but it's like you gotta have like extra weeks for that you know or like we start putting on more episodes you know xyz i still think it is just a lot of setup Mm -hmm. like a lot of like oh they're doing this and they're trying to do this and it has yet to like expand Mm -hmm. because in my opinion writing 1.7 million words is not just like it's contained between these three countries and I don't know the rest of the story, mm-hmm. so if it is... I mean, I don't like, either. I'm only up to chapter like, 12. Yeah, like, I would hope it's not repetitive. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously, like, stories tend to, like, ebb and flow yeah. and have the same sway. But it's, like, mm-hmm. at what scale? Like, right. right now, this still feels very, like, small scale. Yes. I'm assuming it expands. So right. I, I enjoy listening to it. It is kind of a lot of information yeah. to be, like, yeah, I'm going to intake all of this in mm-hmm. one sitting and, like not process it again until you talk about it again <laughs> right um but i do find it enjoyable and yeah it is just like especially when i know that they're like very intensive and like plot heavy episodes yes. i don't provide a lot of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, side mm-hmm. commentary because i don't want to distract from like there's a lot going on you gotta learn of, a lot yeah like it's not chess there's not just two sides like right there's, there's a lot going on there's a so. Yeah, I am hoping it'll pick up a little bit now that they're not in Burke, that they're in Norway. Like, it's a new location for them. They're surrounded by a bunch of new people. I don't really know that much about Norway. Maybe they are good people, but who knows? I think at this point, it's a very much like a, do you really trust anybody? Can you really trust anybody? Or is every are you a little mm-hmm. skeptical about everybody at this point where it's like, we are here for peace. And it's like, but are you? But are you here for peace? Yeah, I am I am excited to see where it goes. There is another episode planned, like I said, so hopefully we'll be getting more, getting more into a story. The thing is, is, like, when you think about it as 156 chapters, you're, like, 12 chapters of, like, intro. Doesn't seem that crazy when you think about how many chapters there are currently and will be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is just the thing of just, like, getting started, and it's just remembering a lot of stuff. Because even I had to, like, listen to the episode back and be like, oh, yeah. Read my notes back and be like, oh, yeah. Like, right. that's why I would like to, in the future, like, maybe not go a year in between mm-hmm. <laughs> updates, but we'll see with the schedules and stuff. But I would like to do a little bit more, like, maybe, like, every four months or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. Thank you for listening to another episode of Canonically Incorrect. You can follow us on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and Tumblr. You can send us your fanfiction recommendations, or if you're a fanfiction author that would like to be on our show, email us at canonicallyincorrectpod at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, you can donate a one-time donation at ko-fi.com slash canonicallyincorrect. <laughs> you can subscribe to our Patreon monthly at patreon.com slash canonicallyincorrect. Thank you to our Patreons at Tumnal River and Riley C for your continued support. Donate to AO3! And we'll see you guys next time! Bye! Bye.